All right. If you will, turn with me to John 11. We are picking up where we left off last week in verse 28. And we will begin by reading verses 28 through 44. And it says this. This is the word of the Lord. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing she was going to, to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. That is the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless the hearing and the reading of his word. Let us uh, pray before we get into this time. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful time that you've given us to come together and to worship you in spirit and in truth um, by hearing your word and your truths being proclaimed through it. God, we are just weak vessels that have this wonderful treasure that we're able to pour out uh, to your people so you can wash your bride with the water of your word. It is a wonderful and daunting task that is given, but it is a wonderful gift that you have given to your church. And we are these recipients who graciously and mercifully uh, receive it, and we just thank you for it. So we ask in this time that you uh, minister to your people. In your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. So I wanted to start uh, off with a little confession. Um, as a minister of God's word, I kind of mentioned this last week, we have one duty. It is to be faithful to the word of God and to preach Christ and him crucified, as, as Paul says. Um, a focus shouldn't be on eloquence or lofty speech or any of those things. It should be purely the word of God. Uh, because the word is where the power is. God speaks through his, through his word. We as a sheep hear him. And I do believe personally, uh, as I was presenting God's truth, I kind of lost sight of some of those things as I was preaching and kind of allowed anxiety and things to get to me. Uh, but I was 
uh, humbled through that time and through the week I was able to reflect and meditate upon God's word, take wise counsel, get feedback, and uh, ultimately what I was able to see, which, which was the sermon itself, was that God uses all things for our good and for his glory, and he was able to do that for me. And so I, I stand before you a, a new man, right, just thankful for what God has done and reminding us that it is his word that is the power to salvation for all who believe. And so I'm thankful for that, and, and I had this renewed sense of conviction and, and joy in presenting God's word uh, through this week. So with that out of the way, we find ourselves today going from the death of Lazarus uh, to the life, the raising of life, uh, the raising of Lazarus. Last week was Lazarus's death in, in the light of the glory of God, the, the love of God, and the power of God. This week, what we're going to do, do is we're going to see the glory of God, the love of God, and the power of God on full display through Christ's actions. Now, the heart of God is what we see in these times, and we're going to talk about that through these verses today. We're going to focus on three things in particular, um, and they're all kind of similar, and that's why I kind of I felt like they, they're, they're applicable for us, but we see them fairly laid out in this passage. We're going to talk about the sympathy of Christ the empathy of Christ, and the compassion of Christ. Those will be the three points uh, that we'll kind of walk, use to walk through these passages. And I do believe through the life of Lazarus, or excuse me, the raising uh, of Lazarus, we get a very clear example of what Christ does for his people, for, the, for every Christian, for every person who is called upon the name of the Lord. We see a, a great example of when we pass from death into life. And so that's, that's our sermon summary uh, for our time today. It's going to be, those in Christ have passed from death until life. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into our time. And we are going to look first at verses 28 through 33 in light of the sympathy of Christ. So a couple of questions that I want to ask as, and, and kind of to keep in the back of your mind is, well, how do we see the sympathy of Christ? Why do we see it and, and what do we do with it? Uh, when we do see it. So first, we're going to talk about that. How do we see the sympathy of Christ? Well, last week we discussed the death of Lazarus, right? The, the messengers are sent. They go to Jesus. They tell him that Lazarus is ill. Jesus knows in his omniscience that, that Lazarus has died. Well, he makes this, he waits two days and then he travels to go be with those whom he loves. He traveled two days to get there. And, and I, I think that's something uh, that, that speaks to Christ's love for his people, the sympathy that he had for him. He's traveling, taking a two-day journey to get to be with them, to be there with them as they mourn the loss of their brother. Now, something I think that we all struggle with in times of mourning is finding the right words to say, right? When, when someone loses someone tragically or just after a long life, we, we always kind of find ourselves with our hands tied because we, we can't quite find the right words to say. Um, I think that's, that's all of us. But what Jesus does here, he comes to be with them, right? There's, there's something very special about just being there for someone in their time of need. And Jesus does that. Uh, we see sympathy there. Uh, if we were to look at the life of Job, right, when Job lost his kids, lost his possessions, the, everything was stricken from him except for, him his, for his life and his wife, he mourned in sackcloth and ashes, and he had his friends come to be with him. And they just sat there with him for a week. Right now, ultimately, we know how the story went. Once they opened their mouth, things got a little squirrely. But that first week, 
that, that's a clear example of what he needed. He needed people to be there with him, whether they're saying anything or not. But being there is, is huge uh, for us. But not only did Jesus travel to be with them, he also listened to their words. Uh, those that were hurting, he listened to what they had to say. In verse 21, back, uh, it's Martha came to Jesus as he was so far away off outside of the village and tells him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Right? Jesus listened to Martha as she mourned the death of her brother. In verse 32, Jesus calls for Mary as he's outside the village. She comes to him, falls at his feet, says the same exact words, Lord, excuse me, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I know we already discussed this last week, but I want to reiterate this for those who didn't hear or listen or watch uh, or for those who may have forgot from last week. <clears throat> the, the language that's used here for Martha and Mary when they say, Lord, if you had been here, my, our brother would not have died. It doesn't come across as, as uh, disrespectful or accusative uh, because they call him Lord, not, not the title of Yahweh, but just like saying, sir. Mary falls at his feet. There, there is no, no rebuke or anything that, that comes from Jesus to lead us to believe that it was some kind of harsh language that was being used. Um, what we see here is, is a mourning, respectful cry from their heart that just said things could have been different if you were here. We know who you are and we know things could have been different. And so Jesus heard them. He listened to them. Right? That, that's what he did for both of them. They were acknowledging what Jesus could have done had he been there sooner. Now, he, was, he traveled to be there with them. He listened to what they had to say. Uh, but that wasn't all that he did. It, it, wasn't like, it wasn't as if his words fell on deaf ears. Their words fell on deaf ears. Excuse me. Verse 33 tells us, when Jesus saw them weeping, he was deeply moved and greatly troubled. Now, most commentators agree um, in this section, as kind of as, as I did a little word study on deeply moved and greatly troubled, the, the English language, to, to try to condense it down to a single word or two words is really difficult to really grasp the, the intensity of these emotions that were being experienced by Jesus in this time. You know, I, I think we've heard people use the phrases like, uh, the, I heard a moving speech that really just spoke to me. Or, um, you know, thinking about the coronavirus, people are troubled, right? They're, they're kind of troubled in their emotions. And so when you hear deeply moved or greatly troubled, I know personally I, I didn't really get that full effect of what this word really meant because it, there's this, I keep saying intensity because it's kind of like this really deep thing. And I want to try to describe it for you. If we put ourselves in Jesus' shoes in this time, Jesus, you know, he's the word made flesh. He's the creator of all things, right? This is who he is. Someone whom he loves died, right? The the person that he loves has died. But not only has that person died, he understands fully well that sin is what brought about this curse on his creation that brought about death. Right. So there is frustration that's there with sin being the root behind death. Not only that, this death is being experienced by your sheep, by your people. So not only do you love and are you frustrated the rightful punishment that goes out because of the consequences of our sin are being experienced by your people. They're hurting. They're going through all of these things. But then you also have people mourning in this time as if they have no hope, right? So you have this wide range of emotions that kind of culminate 
and and it, it's 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 deep, right? I mean, it, you're, they're deeply moved. He's greatly troubled. Uh, but the, to try to really grasp what's being said here, that's kind of where where Jesus is in this time. There's sorrow for death. There's anger towards sin. There's frustration with those grieving as if they had no hope. But then there's also sadness for the for the state of humanity uh, in this time. What we'll what, what we won't I don't. What we'll see or what we see through the Gospels is as Jesus is coming into uh, Jerusalem before he is uh, eventually crucified, as he weeps, he laments over Jerusalem. There's this deep sorrow he has for the state that they find themselves in. All of this is in the back of the mind of Christ as he's going through this time. And so all these things are kind of going through in his head in, in this time. Now, if we were to put ourselves in, in his shoes in that time and we have someone that lost their life or we lost our job, we're hungry, we have a headache, our kids aren't listening, our spouse is, isn't very kind to us, right? When they're, all these things are greatly troubling us or we're being deeply moved because of all these situations and circumstances in our lives, we tend to be very susceptible to being tempted by sin and saying something or doing something that we would ultimately regret. But what we see with Christ going through all these emotions, right? Being in a similar situation as us that we go through at the same time of experiencing all those emotions, he had perfect love in him, which casts out fear. He also had the knowledge of the power that he had within him to raise Lazarus to life. Now, I, when I, when I think about who Jesus is, what he's done, where we're weak, where he's strong, and I, and I think about all of Scripture, it, it makes me think that in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 4, verse 15, this was in the back of the author's mind uh, as he was considering uh, what, what, what was to be written about Christ. And it says this, I, I find this very encouraging, uh, this verse very encouraging, considering what we're talking about, the sympathy of Christ that he has for us and understanding uh, where we are. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus has been through it, right? He's been through the, the wide range of emotions that we go through. He's been tempted in every way, yet without sin. He can sympathize, right? He understands where we're, what we're going through, where, the way we feel. He understands all that stuff, uh, yet without sin. So this is not only how we see the sympathy of Christ, but why we see the sympathy of Christ. It's, it's an encouragement for us because he is our perfect example. He is our rock, our strong tower. He is our help in time of need. It is him to whom we run to. It is him to whom we look to. It is his kingdom and his righteousness that we seek first. But he is not only our high priest who sympathizes with us, he is also an empathetic savior who feels what we feel. So let's look at John eleven thirty four through 37, which is the next four verses, uh, in light of the empathy of Christ. So how do we see the empathy of Christ here? Well, my biggest takeaway as I was reading this and thinking about this indignation, this him being deeply moved in his emotions and greatly troubled and, and going through these experiences Christ never lost focus of what he came to the earth to do. Never lost focus of that. His duty to the Father, doing all that the Father told him, 
none of that was ever off-site for him. He always did what the father told him to do. But I do believe it is safe to say, or I should say in light of this, I shouldn't say but, but in light of this, I do believe it is safe to say in his humanity, he was overwhelmed emotionally at the state of his people and wept. It pained him to see the destruction sin caused. Sin grieved Christ. Yet, we do it all the time. We do it all the time. We get caught up in our lives, in, in our day-to-day things, and feel like we deserve better than what we have, and then we have the nerve to feel like we deserve to sin. God help us. But here, what we see, as he's grieved, as he's pained, as he's overwhelmed with these emotions of the time, of the circumstances of what's going on, Jesus practices what he preaches. We're told that we are told in the scriptures to weep with those who weep, and Jesus wept. God in the flesh shed tears just like we do. Now, something to consider, and I'm not, I don't want to take it too far. Um, definitely don't want to do that. Jesus isn't sitting at the right hand of the Father at this very moment, bawling his eyes out, right, over our sins. Uh, that, that's not what he is doing in this time. Uh, that, that's not where he is at. But in Adam, we all sinned. That's what Romans 5.12 tells us. All of us sinned in Adam. So all of our sins make us culpable of the death of Christ. Therefore, it was my sin, it was your sin that nailed Christ to the cross. So when we think about it that way, his tears, his pain, his anger, and his sorrow is over my sin and your sins too. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Now I say that because we we have to recognize we do have a sympathetic high priest. And we also have an an empathetic savior who feels our pain. But he is also the Holy One of Israel the one true God. He is high and lifted up. He is all these things, and he is also holy and just and will not leave the guilty unpunished. So if we think about the sympathetic and empathetic king, savior, holy one of Israel, holy and righteous God, what will this type of God do to the fact that we've sinned? What will he do to sinners? If if he's a holy God, and we're wretched sinners. What does a holy God do with wretched sinners? What he does is he executes justice righteously. That's what God does. Since the wages of sin is death, and we all sinned in Adam, we are rightly owed death for our sins that we committed against God. We're lawbreakers. We can never be good enough. We're not good people. 
none of that is is true for any of us. We 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 can't be good enough. We're not we're not good in and of ourselves. Paul tells us that in Romans three, verses ten through twelve, as it is written, none is righteous, no not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. So the thing we have to recognize is the fact that we will either be judged in Adam or in Christ. There is no other way. There's two ways, that's it. There's one way to salvation, one way to damnation. We will either be found guilty in our sin or forgiven in Christ. Now you may ask yourself, why do I bring this up if we're talking about sympathy and empathy? Well, I, I believe it's, it's right for us to see these things, right? We see righteous indignation in Christ in the fact that he is, he's angry towards sin, right? This is obviously something that he is experiencing in this time. So why do I bring this up if we're taught this is what we're owed? Well, there's good news. There's good news available to us. And our blast point brings this full circle for us. It is a beautiful example of what it is like to be found in Christ. It is a living, breathing example in an event in history, a miraculous event in history, that is an example of what Christ does for every one of his children. We see the compassion of Christ on full display. So let's reread verses 38 through 44 to kind of uh, refresh our minds and, and see the compassion of Christ. It says this, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you? that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now for the sake of time, I want to focus on verses 43 and 44. And I want to focus on those verses in light of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I feel like these are great complementary verses. All of scripture interprets scripture. Uh, but what we have here is, is an event that happened and then scripture that, that speaks directly to this time. So it says this, listen to this. Th these are beautiful words. And it's speaking of this passing from death to life. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
I don't know if you're saying this at home or when you're listening to this via podcast, but that should be a time for us to just rejoice, to say amen, praise the Lord. It is a beautiful truth that we have here. All of scripture is that, but just to see the the connection that's made with these passages, it's, it's a beautiful thing. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and God made us alive with Christ. Graciously, miraculously, and mercifully, we have passed from death until everlasting life. Now, going back to our passage, Lazarus, by verse 42, is still dead, right? Lazarus is dead. But God, to glorify himself through the Son, displayed his power over death by raising a dead man to life. So we ask the question, how did he do it? Well, of, of course, by his power, right? He, he raised him to life. It was because of mercy and grace he raised him to life. But how did he do it? He spoke. Jesus spoke. He called Lazarus by name. Now, I've heard many sermons preached, and, and, and it's kind of a consensus. When you hear a sermon on the, the life of Lazarus, it's, they, they say, which I agree with, that if he had to call him by name, because if he just said, come out to the tombs, every single person that was dead in that time would have raised and, and came out of their tombs. Like I said, I do believe that God has that kind of power. He can absolutely do that. But as I was studying and I was reading, the way God really just ministered to me through this passage was, was like this. Jesus cried out, Lazarus, come out called him by name. He called him by name. Jesus calls us by name. John 10, 3 says, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own by name and leads them out. Jesus' call to salvation is not some generic, hey, y'all, anybody out there want to be saved? That's not the way it works. Jesus knows his sheep. And he calls us by name. He didn't die a generic death for universal sins, for people to come to him in any kind of fashion and way that they wanted. No, he died for my sins. He died for your sins. He, he died for those whom he knew. Our sins nailed him to the cross. He called me by name. If you are in Christ, he called you by name. When I was dead in my trespasses and sins, when that was me, I walked according to the, 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 the power of the air and the, all the, the way that I live my life, like Ephesians 2, 5, 2, 2, 1 through 5 tells us, I lived that way. I was a walking tomb. My heart was dead. It was cold. It was a stony heart. That's who I was. But through the preacher, through the preaching of the word that night, God spoke to me. The words, essentially, what, I don't even remember what he said, but the, the words were for me. And it, was as, it could have been as clearly as what, he told G, as what he told Lazarus here. Laramie, come out. Right, he breathed life into me. He brought me newness of life. I no longer was dead. I was no longer that person. He called me out of darkness into his wonderful light. His words revived my soul. They were a sweet sound in my ear. And I recognized the voice of my Savior. I was dead. I was lost. I was blind. I was unable. That's, that's who I was. 
I had no ability to save myself. But God, being rich in mercy, made me alive with Christ, and I passed from death to life. Now, in closing, as we look to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, the sympathetic high priest, I want to leave you with a, with a couple of things. Now, at this point, I'm speaking to the church. I'm speaking to those who are in Christ. If, if you are in Christ, if you have called upon his name, repented of your sin, believed in the gospel, believe who Christ says he is, if he has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, when you find yourself fearful, like in this time with catching the coronavirus or spreading it to people who could potentially die from it or uh, losing your job because people are being forced to stay at home or becoming depressed or anxious because you're stuck at home all the time. Whenever these thoughts and, and feelings and emotions grip you in this time, I can tell you with full confidence that Christ is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He has laid down his life for you. He has given you eternal life. You will never perish. And no one can snatch you out of his hand. Now, providentially in this time, we have, God has allowed this pandemic to cause our governments to um, require us to not meet in groups larger than 10. Many people are being forced from their jobs to, to stay at home to try to help prevent the spread of this disease. Uh, but God has also provided us with technology that has allowed us or allowed his word, excuse me, to go forth in spite of these hindrances. So it's a wonderful time to live. I know it may sound like really, but it really is. If you go back 15, 20 years, this kind of stuff was not available to us. Podcasts, videos that stream having all kind of opportunities to, to be able to connect without being physically with each other. It is, it is a truly a beautiful time uh, to be alive in spite of the circumstances. We can take heart because Christ has overcome this world. So I want to leave you with this. I, I want to just encourage you, exhort you, and try to remind you of what God has called us to in spite of the circumstances, for us to walk by faith, not by sight. Um, we are called to honor Christ with our life. We can do so by recognizing the gift of life that he has given to us. And the word also tells us we are to make the best use of our time. So church, please, please do that. Pray for each other. Show hospitality when you can. Seek to be there if it's by the phone, FaceTime, whatever. Whatever you can do to try to be there for somebody Y'all can pull up in vehicles and talk throughout the vehicle if, if that's the case. Use this time wisely. Fight the good fight of faith. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you so much for your mercy and kindness and grace to us. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing that we get to experience. And Lord, I just pray that you take your word, that you do with it what you please, that as the seeds are spread, the water goes down, that fruit and bounty is, uh, there's just a wonderful harvest that is available to your people as we are ministered to you, ministered by you through your word. God, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for all that you do, all that you have done, and all that you'll continue to do. We pray for your people 
for those who don't know yet that they are your people that will be called soon, we thank you for them as well. And we just pray for all those who are affected in this time by this uh, terrible disease. So we pray and ask for these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.